0: Hi, and welcome to Gather episode number 12 of 12 for the year. How good. <laughs> um, I'm so excited to be back here with Lara Rose, my Gather co founder. Um, and today I'm going to be interviewing her, which is pretty exciting. So some of you might just assume because we are quite tight that Lara and I have known each other forever, grown up together, maybe you might think, um, but we've actually only known each other for a year and a half, which is wild, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, crazy. I know, I know. It's so crazy. I think because when we met. It was just one of those instant moments. You know when you meet people and you just feel like you've you, known them forever? Yes. And you just know that you're going to just be close with this person. Like, you know, sometimes when it's like you've met a forever friend. Yeah. That's how I feel with you. And I'm so grateful for your friendship. Um, Lara has taught me so much uh, You know, I've been a florist for a really long time and there's always more to learn. And of course, we know that there's always new styles and there's always new developments and we're always trying to improve our technique. But Lara has taught me so much, particularly around sustainability. And I just appreciate your passion for what you do and your passion for uh, the environment Um, and not just your passion, but I would say that you're both so passionate and also compassionate. Compassionate, oh. compassionate, um, in the way that you talk to me, help me understand, and the way that I've seen you talk to other people about, um, yeah, the environment and our place in the industry within that from a from a sustainability angle. So I admire that so much because, as myself, someone that has been quite uneducated in general environmentally, and also just um, particularly within our industry. Uh, when sustainability started to become quite um fashionable, I guess you could say, um, there was a lot of uh, quite aggressive um kickback. Well, just I just felt like you'd go onto Instagram and it'll be like if you're using frame, you suck and you're gonna die. <laughs> and I was like, oh, where's my place in this and how do I figure this out? What does this actually mean and what evidence based information is there, not just um, uh, opinions? Because you need both. You need people that are passionate and have a really strong, valid opinion. But those opinions also being founded is also really helpful for people that don't share that opinion to understand where you're coming from and why. Um, so, yeah, I always appreciate your insight. So, Lara's been someone that I can always call and um, be like, hang on, I don't understand this. Can you tell me, explain to me why we can't use bleached flowers? Or can you explain to me why painted flowers are it, 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 that's bad i don't understand why spray painting a leaf why is that environmentally bad um so what i thought was oh my gosh why not get you in front of a microphone and all the questions that i ask and bring up with you that have helped me so much and helped me grow and understand the sustainability angle a lot more um yeah why don't we share those with the gather community because i'm sure there's a lot of people out there that have the same (laughs) questions and misunderstandings or um yeah things that I have had and still often do have. Um, so thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to call this episode Sustainability for Dummies, yeah. but I felt like that was – then I'm like, Lara is so compassionate and I'm like, oh, yeah, we can't call it that. <laughs> and that was more a reflection on me, on the way that I feel is yeah. like it's one of those books where you get like um, learning Excel for dummies yes. or something that's like I know nothing give me some information and break it down really simply for me. Mm-hmm. So instead, uh, what are we going to call it? Uh, it's a, it's sustainability for beginners or something totally. like that. Sustainability for the uneducated. Or um, I, I feel like we, we're all beginners
1: in this, really. Yeah. Like, and there's no such thing as a perfect sustainable florist. Like, let me just point that out.
0: Compassion, compassion.
1: <laughs> and I am by no means an expert at all and... I really am just finding my my voice in mm. this uh, in the, in this way around yes. sustainability, and so there's it's not a black and white thing, and sustainability is such a buzzword at the moment. Yeah, as you said, like it's it's starting to become fashionable, which is great because yes, it needs to be totally. But there's like so many ways you can look at sustainability and the bigger picture, and yeah, I just don't for a moment ever wanna think that I'm up here on my soapbox going this is wrong and this is how you should do it um I feel especially when I'm like we're reaching out and creating a community here um with florists I really would like this to be a safe space where we can all ask stupid questions cuz I even like I get so shy just going to the flower markets and talk sometimes talking to the suppliers and asking like really direct questions yeah. because sometimes I'm like when you ask questions that make people feel uncomfortable, it, it can be a really, un, you know, nitty-gritty situation.
0: So, And aren't we all just so, um, you know, typically, the mm. typical cutout of a creative person is like we really care what other people think yes. and a lot of us are people-pleasers. So when you have that little internal like, oh, I don't know about this or hey, I want to just find out some, you know, sometimes you put on the assumptions of the other person to be like, how dare you or like what you don't know this or you know you assume that I should either already know or this is uh, this is a um this question is going to be offensive or you know you have these assumptions going in and you know we need to just be kinder to ourselves actually and remove Mm -hmm. some of those assumptions and go it's okay to ask a question and it's also okay if the other person doesn't know but sometimes it's like okay okay I'm asking a question about where this product has come from, or where this, or oh, how to care for it, or something like that. And if you don't, you as the supplier, the market, or whatever, don't know, how can I find out? Where would I go to yep. to find that information? Can you ask the grower for me? Like asking further questions, not just getting a no and being like, "Oh, okay, well, I tried." Because totally. I think sometimes that's what happens is us as florists, we go, okay, I do want to learn more about sustainability or I do want to learn more about where my product comes from. And then we ask a handful of questions and that's taken all of our courage to get to that place yeah. to just ask one or two questions. And it's like, oh, I'm not really sure. Oh, yeah, I think I think maybe it'll open in three days or I think, you know, the the answer is very vague, vague and doesn't feel knowledgeable. Yeah, And it's like, okay, well, I tried. And that's the end of it. So
1: totally relate
0: to that experience. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but so with with
1: sustainability, I think, uh, and it being such a buzzword, I, I I really think the best thing we can really the way to look at this is for us to not beat ourselves up about what we don't know, but yeah. just all actively try it and you know start actively thinking about it and feeling comfortable to ask questions and talk about it and workshop it together. Because it's only when you start to know things that you know that you can do better. Yeah. But until you don't know, we're all sort of in the dark.
0: That's powerful. So, yes, I thought, like, I'll be the dummy and I'll ask all the questions. <laughs> Some have already asked <laughs> in the past. And I was kind of just thinking, what are all the things that, um, that a florist would like to know okay. on this topic? So let's dive in. Um, so regarding sustainability in general, mm. can you just talk us through what are the pillars of sustainability?
1: Yeah. So when we all think of sustainability, we usually always think about from an environment, just a purely environmental side of things, because that's, I guess, where the main it funnels down to. But it is sustainability is a, as a word is, you know, the three pillars of sustainability is environmental, social and economic, also known as people, planet and profit. So. There's many areas of sustainability within the world and when we look in particularly with our businesses as florists, there is these three pillars that we need to represent. For example, we can't just suddenly become the most sustainable florist um, and follow all of these things that's going to send us bankrupt. We Mm. need to really make sure that these things that we're implementing support um, us as people, our team Mm -hmm. and our profit. Um, And then the um, social sort of sides of it, you know, about – where, where are our flowers coming from? How are they grown? What are the conditions in these countries? Yeah. The chemicals used and things like that. So um, today, uh, you know, my area definitely and I feel like where I can share my knowledge is, is definitely around um, the sustainability um, within like flowers in mechanics and sourcing and things like that and what, yeah. what I've learned along the way. Um, but we might touch on the other stuff as well.
0: Yeah, totally. Even like I'll regularly say... Um, I'm just like realizing this now, like I'll regularly be when we're looking at rostering or when we're looking at, um, yeah, regarding personnel and jobs and all of that kind of stuff, I'll be like, okay, that's not sustainable. And what I mean is like. Why well, I can't just have that person work ninety hours a week. Yeah, That's that, not sustainable. That doesn't add up. <laughs> yeah. So maybe I am very sustainable. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> just yes, in you one are. of the other pillars. <laughs> very good oh at my that. <laughs> um so all right. So can you tell us why is this why is sustainability so important to you? What um where does this kind of yep. heartbeat come from?
1: So so growing up. Um, on the land with big environmental warrior parents. It has been drilled into me um, since I was very young. Um, so I was born into people born into people in a world where they considered everything and put the environment first. And I rebelled quickly, travelled the world, and wanted to get far away from anything green or tree as, for as long as possible. And it's been Just a...
0: The- Single-use plastic all the way, and no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no.
1: But I just wanted the big city, and I wanted the warehouses, and I wanted the concrete j- jungle. And it was only once um, living in the city, and um, yeah, finally realizing that nature was calling me back. And it's been a long um, windy road, uh, but I think coming from the arts um, and into horticulture, and then then into floristry from this side angle. It was really when I moved back to WA and started working and doing weddings and and learning about the floristry industry, I was just gobsmacked at um, the waste that was produced in this industry. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me it's just a fundamental thing that our role as florists is to connect people with nature Mm -hmm. and to think that overall um, there is so many things within our industry that are actually quite, damaging to the very thing that we're trying to promote and connect humans to so and it is possible and there is things we can do and we I think it's really important that we always just bring it back to nature and back to back to what the plants need you know
0: yeah wow um that's really cool so all right here we go what can florists, what steps can florists take? This is a big one to reduce carbon footprint. Wow. Okay. Um, and so like, okay, even just what is, yeah, yeah, what is someone's carbon footprint?
1: So, you know, we all produ- we're all, we're all producing carbon in all different ways mm-hmm. and um, at all times. And you know that there's carbon offsets now, um, which is a very complicated whole other scientific thing that I won't go into, but, um, when it comes to flowers and the research around carbon footprints um there's there's definitely a lot of research going into it but we're still very much not at a point where you know every like different flower could be calculated about how many um kilos of co2 this one flower would produce and that's that that's not that that's like considering all the things like how it was grown the energy it took like yeah, whether it was in a greenhouse the, water, the fertilizer they, yeah. Mm-hmm. the people driving, you know, the machines, everything, and then the transport, refrigeration and all of that. Um, but I guess like in a nutshell, just a concept that I'd love to just share, which you learn when you get more into this is, is, and it's a, is the simple pillar, is about, um, you know, a circular economy. So a circular economy is a, is a model of production and conscious consumption, which involves sharing and leasing, reusing, repairing, upcycling and recycling all of our existing materials yeah. and products for as long as possible. So, mm-hmm. you know, single-use plastic, for example, is yeah. the first thing that really just needs to go. Yeah. Um, and it's about how can we get the most out of this vase? How can we get the most out of this flower? Mm-hmm. How, what is the best life cycle for this flower? And looking at things and trying to make it a circle and bringing it back to earth in the least damaging way is sort of what a circular economy looks like. And that can be put, uh, you know, um, compared to
0: any sort of industry across the board. So what does that look like as a florist? Like what are some things that you do in your business to make sure that, yeah. Um, So
1: personally, you know, in in my business I have made a very – um, big, bold um, decision to only use Australian grown flowers yeah. because it is, you know, it's not widely proven, but it is it is generally proven that imported flowers with all the travel and the refrigeration and stuff are definitely going to have a higher a carbon off print. Mm-hmm. There's some stuff I'll talk to you about maybe a little bit later about how you can compare things with science and how yeah. local is not always better yeah. um, depending on the flower. But for me, I'm... Always trying to reuse um, recycle uh, I going with um I personally am not using bleached product anymore, mm-hmm. which was a big one for me because I like um like everybody, I got swept up into the preserved product very quickly yeah. didn't think didn't really think about it just thought, wow, this is amazing here's a beautiful colored product that when there's something, you know, not available at the markets, it fits the brief and I get to reuse it and reuse it. So for mm-hmm. that's a that's a different conversation in itself. But um uh like I also really think that we all need to look and look into if we are using dyed product, you know, where is that product being made and how is it being made? Yeah. Um and then I compost a lot, Mm -hmm. which is, it it definitely increases your labour, you know, chopping up and working out what is compostable, what is not, um, and making, I'm lucky enough to live in a place where I'm gardening and growing flowers for myself as well. So I'm reusing and um, composting those things. Um, Yeah, like they're the things that first come to mind when you say, you know, what, how do I try and reduce my carbon off print? I guess the other thing that I'm passionate about um, and it's sort of related to floristry definitely is the styling side of things that go along with it. Yes. So I am the one, even if I'm doing a really high end wedding that's reusing a candle that's only been burnt um, by one previous wedding. Cause mm-hmm. these candles last for like I know. 36 hours yeah. and they actually burn brighter when they've had um, one burn through them. So like as long as you're filming, once the candles are lit, no one's ever going to know, and that's a great, you know, example of of a way of just thinking how how do we just minimize all the waste?
0: Yeah, totally. Um, have you seen the flat uh, the candle sand? Yes. Um, stuff. Yeah, I've used it; it's quite good. Um,
1: have you? I have, I have. I have. I'm. I think the stylist I'm using, working with the next weekend, said she's bringing some, and I'm bringing some, cool recycled props to put them
0: in. Oh, I love it! But yeah, it's um, fantastic, and the top. Little bit, just like make it almost makes this tiny little cup worth of like burnt. Um, so not much at all, really. Yeah, and you just pop that bit off, and then the sound underneath is completely reusable. And what's the so, cost like? Um, it is cheaper than. Well, it's it's comparative, yeah. Right. If not mildly cheaper. Um, but I guess then you have to have the vessels and all of that stuff to go along with it so it's it's and then store it and all of that kind of stuff. So all up, I would say it's comparative it's around about the same as pillars so it's not tremendously more, but that's an upfront cost that I'm talking about to buy the candle stand and buy all the um the vases and stuff for yep. it if you don't have like that many kind of clear um vases in the right heights and stuff mm. and um, yeah and but then you can reuse it. Like numerous times, so cost benefit over time is more affordable. So, yeah, it's it's a it's a good one because it's pretty and it's new and it's interesting, but it's also like yeah, economically great, which is wonderful. because some of
1: these things aren't always, especially in the beginning, as we're figuring it out.
0: Right, exactly. Which is you know, which is a definitely a a complicated aspect to this all is when the information isn't readily available when it's hard to find and even the places that you feel like the supply chain the places that you're going your suppliers aren't even able to give you further information it's hard to be able to actually put action into place if you don't have those details so yeah um so where do you go for or like what is known about calculating the footprint in the fire industry, carbon footprint, like where are you going to find this information? So
1: um I listen to a lot of podcasts and then like find people through that. Mm-hmm. Uh and so the Slow Flowers um podcast in America with Deborah Prinzing, she's been mm-hmm. going amazing and she is like actively involved with a lot of People that are choosing the slower flower model, so mm-hmm. growing of flowers, and then a lot of her guests are really incredible speakers. Yeah. And there's just pockets of people doing amazing things across the world. It's really, it's really inspiring. But the the two biggest um, sort of organisations that I know of and that I've found through my journey is the um, Sustainable Cut Flower Projects, which are based in the UK, and they're sort of the, been around the longest, which is a science based um, company. Is that
0: the Rita Feldman? No, no, no. So she's she's working Flower she's network. working with them. Uh, so
1: yeah, the Sustainable Forest Network is the next one I was going to mention. Uh, so sorry. they they work together. So yeah, from um yeah, so the Sustainable uh flowers, sustainable forestry network, which is based in Melbourne with yeah. Rita Feldham. She was actually a guest here. Yeah, with me. I know, right? Yeah.
0: So anyone that is like, if this is really interesting to you, um, go back to the episode that with Lara Rita. did with Rita. Rita Feldman and yeah, she's the one that's like unlocking all of this stuff and actually yep. doing a lot of research and um science based, um, mm-hmm. evidence based uh data that's, yep. you know, concrete instead of just I think that this is better or this is worse or Yes. Yep. So she's been connecting
1: with people all around the world and that includes um the the crew in the UK, which have been running studies for over the, you know, ten years and, and finding out very interesting things, you know, within like – because I was like when I first – I was like what are we going to be able to, you know, find out what each stem is worth and then compare it because I wanted to compare like something that was like an imported rose versus like a red imported – no, let's say a yeah, a red imported rose versus um, a dyed red hydrangea. Mm-hmm. Like what, what what could we – we're not quite there yet because there's so many variables and mm-hmm. none of this is black and white. But like the – you know, some of the studies in the UK have proven really interesting things around. Like you would assume that a, so a flower that was grown in Africa, um, in and was being they so say this flower is being sold in a rose is being sold in London, but it's and comparing something that's been grown in Africa versus something that's grown in Holland. Obviously, Holland yeah. is way closer to the UK, but some you know the studies have shown that actually because the growing conditions in Africa are so much more better without they don't require all the heating yeah. and the climate is ideal, the, the carbon off-print that is created is actually less even though these roses have to travel far. So mm-hmm. there's some surprising facts that come come out of it. Um, but, yeah, really the sustainably, Sustainable Forestry Network is the cutting-edge leaders at the moment worldwide yeah. in in really trying to create a global, um, you know, community of informed people where they're yeah. getting science-based, and as the information's coming through, they're going to be feeding it to people. Mm-hmm. So it's quite revolutionary that there's someone that's worked that, you know, and I'm pretty stoked that it's come from Australia, yeah, and I'm just so proud of Rita for yeah. for doing this. And it's it's a they've been at this since COVID, so three or three and a half years developing a, a course which is just now available and launched, mm-hmm. but. It's just an incredible resource, Um, and I am only scratching at the beginnings of what's available through that community. So yeah, so that's a good one,
0: good one to watch, isn't it? And as they're research, you know, gathering data, gathering research, getting all this information together takes time. So Mm -hmm. there's only going to just be more and more that unfolds. And like you said, like. Local isn't always necessarily more sustainable. It depends on the variety. Obviously, seasonality, uh, sorry, what uh, climate is such a big contributor. Yeah. So, um, you know, obviously you go to an Asian um, c- country, for example, and you see how lush and dense and tropical it is, and it's not the same here in Western Australia. Totally. So to try-, try and replicate that environment here takes a lot more Power, heating, cooling, water, exactly. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, yeah, just because it's come locally doesn't necessarily, which is, I think that's going to be quite, it's hugely empowering and I think it's going to be quite liberating for a lot of people that have a tension between where do I source my flowers, how do I get the most sustainable flowers and the most affordable or, you know, all of that kind of stuff. I think it's going to really help people um With their confidence around all of this, actually yeah. having information that's proven um and I'm looking forward to that for sure um, so those would be your key places, I guess that you go to uh, find information, so we'll link those um yeah, in the show notes yeah exactly um so w- you were talking about recycling materials, obviously reusing candles and things like that, and I know I saw that um that um crazy Halloween like full set that you did. And did you say that everything of that, every single piece was recycled or reused?
1: Yeah, so so everything that I bought to um, the gig was uh, recycled, which is is quite a mission. But like the, so the festival creators, they did supply um, the skulls, some skulls and some candles, but um, everything else I managed to find from just recycled Halloween. So yeah, I'm just a huge fan of, Anything that is um, re- reused and to the point of obsession. So, like, um, I'm a Facebook marketplace um, gum tree and my algorithms are amazing now. Like, I just pop up for a second you. and they it's just you. like, you want these sparkly <laughs> chandeliers. And you're like, yes, I do. <laughs> so, I'm always on the hunt for. Just
0: Sorry, do you mind just.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah. thank you. So, I'm always thank on you. the hunt for um, uh, really. Looking at how we can just keep reusing things and like thinking outside the box of like what's something that is some sort of product of waste that we can mm. reuse and turn into something beautiful rather than going to Bunnings and buying it new yeah. in in the first place. Um And the same with vases. Like I have I have like a you know a nine year collection of um antique and vintage glassware that I've um, been collecting and in all different shades and all different colors. And I'm just I just really want to. Because you know, there's a huge vintage and antique scene, but mm. I just want it to come become like more um, broad and like broadly accepted that recycled and vintage and reused stuff is cool, like yeah. across the board. Like, um, so I keep using really random things like this. I bought some um, flowers in today for people that are listening. Oh, I
0: love them; they're so pretty yeah. and all homegrown in your garden.
1: Yeah. So I love to grow things that you can't get in the flower shops. There's so many amazing, rare and unusual perennials out there and I'm on the hunt big time. But I've got this really weird blue vase that looks like an old log and it's got all the holes in it and I'm I'm just stuck my Viola and Forget-Me-Nots and Love in the Mist, Nigella, in there with a little bit of Talbagia, the onion, Grass, but um, yeah, I find all these cool old vases that have like all the you know the holes in them and the original shapes where yeah. when you're like wow this was before floral foam existed yeah. and people needed unusual shapes to hold va- hold flowers in different ways and create design. So yeah, um, I've just loved trying to even with my high end weddings with like lots of color themes is like um, even if it's like you know you you got your tablecloths all the same. But as long as your vases are all in shades of white and different, I'm all about just mixing that up. And I think it can still look really high end and mm. luxe by being um, a, a collection of recycled things. And then it also comes down for me into mechanics. So mm. what are we building um, our structures from? So I'm, I'm literally, when I come up to the city and I'm driving around, it's hard rubbish time, I'm just like,
0: <laughs> Got my eyes on the street and Hubby's just like, oh, no, here, no, not, not Just again. rolling past, driving like 15 kilometres in your massive van and just like leaning out the window just looking for trash. I have literally
1: jumped out of the car while he was driving because he refused to stop once. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was like, it's a penguin.
1: <laughs> and he's like, no, and then he's pulled up at the roundabout and I jumped out. He's, um, yeah, poor poor husband living with a. I'm uh,
0: just going to adjust.
1: Oh, Sorry. So- Living with an organised um, order. Yeah. But, so, yeah. I love o-
0: organised order. That's fantastic. Yeah,
1: got a legitimate excuse. It's great. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, there's so many amazing things that we throw out as a society that make great mechanics for all sorts of different ways of building structures and things like that. So, yeah, I have such a crazy um, pile in my studio of the most random wire cages and old fridge doors or... Wow. like fence panels and all sorts of things that I use for my large-scale sort of install install work. So that's definitely a good way of um, reusing stuff.
0: Also, on that note, Lara's um, going to put together a bit of a document with some photos and stuff of things that she has that she uses and reuses and reuses and reuses, and reuses um, for mechanics and, and the like. So, um, you know, again, if it's like not necessarily, oh, this is a product you can go and specifically buy here because it's like – this is something I found in mm-hmm. Subiaco during bulk rubbish yeah. five years ago. <laughs> um, but just to give you an idea, I always find that an image or a concept can spark a thought totally. so quickly. And you know there are places. Um, uh, what's it called? The like bulk uh, bulk recycling. Like there's are uh, there are places that you can go to buy Tip shops random. Yep half used, half broken, half whatever that can be perfect for hanging flowers.
1: Do not even talk to me about the Balcutta the <laughs> tip shop. I went there once because obviously I don't live here yeah. but I was cleaning out my grandma's house uh-huh. and I w- went to the Green Waste and I was like a vulture, like – look at all this product. <laughs> <laughs> my auntie was like, no, Lara," And I was like, no. And I ended up coming home with like three amazing crown of thorn pot plants. Oh my gosh. But I was like, this is an untapped resource. Yeah. I'm actually looking into at the moment, like trying to contact government about, commercial green waste for oh my, my large-scale
0: installs. Yeah, totally. I have had the <laughs> same thought. I'm like, you're driving around and there's all of these, um, even just like tree-lopping like totally. companies and like, you know, they're down there and they're just like cutting away this stuff and then chipping it all up and chucking it into mulch or whatever. And I'm like, well, these florist shops could this use could some of this stuff. Win-win for yeah, everybody. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. love it. Let's keep exploring <sighs> that idea. So with regards to repurposing upcycling all of that kind of stuff like it where would so- someone that is like cool that's great where would they even start like
1: how are um, so you talking more from like a props or a mechanics sort of thing
0: well kind of both whatever you'd like to share um mm. what um, are your go-tos do you are you trawling um of goodwill like thing. what are yeah. you where are you going
1: yeah, so apart from marketplace marketplace and gumtree, I am definitely an op shopaholic. Um and I also go to like, you know, your markets. Like, um, there's some amazing car boot sales across the city and garage sales. Um, so whenever I'm up in Perth, I am trawling and I have about thirty stops. I literally do I find it very hard to drive past an op shop and not pull over. <laughs> <laughs> but it does um it does take time, but if you just anyone has not op shop before, you've, you've got to try it because it's, it's like the thrill of the chase. You mm. never know what's, what you're going to end, end up with. But I, there is so many incredible um, vintage finds that you can find that are worth a lot of money and they're for sale for not much at all. Mm. So I think thinking outside the box um, is a good way to start and just having, having a little browse next time you drive past an op shop and see is there anything in there that could inspire your design work would be a, a good way to look at it, and when it comes to mechanics and things, again, it's um like uh, sorry another resource person that um is I forgot to mention is the Wildflower Academy. So based oh yeah. over over east um, Ash
0: we've spoken to or well, you've spoken to her as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. She
1: does amazing um like um tutorials and like she has an online educational program. But even just her Instagram stories uh, is just full of different amazing creative ways to design foam free and all different sorts of props and stuff. So, um, it's really just have a go. Like a lot of this is just trial and error and Mm -hmm. it is amazing what you can do with just some old rusty chicken wire or, um, you know, cages and things. So I guess it just comes out to thinking outside the box and having a play. Like if I wasn't to use foam for this, how would I do it? And it really, the only way we're learning is just by, is, by looking to these people that are are definitely teaching it but but then really it's just hands on getting in there and having a play, and then also just really ask us to all think about you know all the plastics in and how we work them into our business mm-hmm. like so for me um i i I can't stand balloons because they're just a one once in a lifetime moment um and single use plastic like wrapping of flowers that really has to go, especially from a retail front. I understand that we've got a much bigger problem from a wholesale mm-hmm. because flowers need to be protected when they're travelling. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard that there's some, like, pretty exciting new sort of um, plant cellulose, cellulose plastic that's being developed mm-hmm. over in Europe, um, but obviously that's not yet here. Um, but how can we, you know, for example, with the flower plastic wrappers, um can we talk to our suppliers that are growing locally and say, if I pick up direct, do I need to take the plastic Mm -hmm. with them? Or when I get my plastic, I use it to like wrap all my um, things for travel. So I just keep it all as my like stuffing stuff, all my bouquets and my vases and stuff around it. So at least it's getting like another another use. Because at the moment, unfortunately, soft plastics recycling is down yeah, it's
0: like you go back to the shop you strip it off you chuck it in the bin yeah that's the end of that and yeah and so yeah. there was
1: a huge recycling program for it and that went under so there's at the moment like massive huge storage of like Australia's collection of soft plastic just sort of like all bundled together waiting for to see whether there's someone overseas that we had to process it for yeah. us or whether we can find someone in Australia that's willing to take it on and I, I I'm pretty sure from what I've read that it is such a core problem that it's going to be addressed. It's just, there's a little bit of a gap currently. Okay. So yeah, there's apart from the bin, there's just things like, how can we, how can we reuse this, yeah. you know? Um, and then it's like, um, how are we attaching things like cable ties? So unfortunately I still haven't eradicated cable ties from, from my life, but I do use twine as much as possible. So for things that are, like, needing, like, better attachments, I use twine with wire in it. Um, But then if it's not, I just use, like, if it's just for, like, a lower-grade hold, I just use, like, some um, biodegradable twine. So I've got a lot of, like, just raw earth twine that can just literally be composted, which is great. How do you
0: know if twine is biodegradable? Like, is all twine biodegradable? No. So
1: um, it's got to, it's a very good question i i actually get mine from a, like a farm shop supplier that i've always used within my family tree business um it's uh definitely in the color and the texture so it's just like a raw fiber you can get it in big rolls mm-hmm. um also you know your natural um sort of i think you get it in the shop for like cooking with like yeah, that okay. stuff has no chemicals ah, in it so course. like when you'd wrap your meats yeah yeah um so you can obviously eat that and compost that so mm-hmm. things like that just for you know tying flowers to dry them or whatever and again like all my elastic bands that come with flowers I save them yeah um and then reuse them for different mechanics because some of my mechanics require um lackey bands yeah and use them for drying all my flowers Yeah, never have enough lackey bands I reckon they're really handy things <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so and then know, what are we, how are we, how are we transporting our flowers to events? Like, what are we using? I use um, jars for all of my transportation of um, fresh flowers and bouquets to events. So recycled jars that, you know, we've scrubbed the labels off um, is a great resource. I personally like to deliver my flowers in a proper source of water.
0: You're talking about bouquet, like bridal bouquets and stuff yeah. like that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, but. Uh, I guess from a retail point, point of view, like h- how do you mostly do it at the moment?
0: Well, we do use um, we use all recyclable paper um, to wrap our yeah. um, uh, flowers. Uh, flowers, but uh, there's still a cellophane-like base. base with um, water and um, we use a, a recyclable, it's actually like a napkin, it's quite a thick napkin that we wet and soak so that like holds water without like dripping. And yep. so we wrap the bouquets around that. So they're always cool and wet and damp. Um, and then we put a small amount of water in yep. the bottom um, just because we found that before we were using the napkins, um, we were just doing a water bubble on its own. And it we just it was just too problematic, like leaky, yeah, too leaky, or it wasn't covering all the stems because, mm. like every now and again, one or two stems is cut sure. a tiny little bit shorter because it was just a shorter stem in the briquet and it's still gonna hit water when it's in a vase and be fine, but for the whole delivery, so yep. we can kind of wet the napkin and and um open it up and wrap it around the entire whole bottom Beautiful. of the stems it's, so that it's, it's definitely um damp me, yeah. and have having some kind of. Water.
1: Are you yeah. using um just like a normal napkin or an eco wrap for that?
0: It's not an eco wrap. They're just too expensive for yeah. us to do. Like to to send off to a house and never get back. <laughs> um, otherwise, you know, we're having to increase our um, bottom
1: end prices. Bottom end prices by like
0: what five or ten, possibly ten dollars mm-hmm. each, just for that. Which again is something that the clients just going to take like throw away. Yeah. Um, so it's not, um, but it is. Um, it is biodegradable, yeah. eco. Like, no, it's, it's just a, na- a napkin. Must,
1: yeah, it's good yeah. that you've got to found a napkin that's like mm. strong and thick enough to yeah, hold that water. Yeah, it's super
0: thick. I got originally like I, I went to the <laughs> toilet in the Como, um, <laughs> and I went because uh, obviously our shops in the um, state buildings yeah. where the, this is a um, six star hotel, um, and I went to the bathroom in their hotel. Um, like in the lobby, I went to do what I needed to do, went to wash my hands, grabbed the napkin out, and I was like, this is the most beautiful napkin I've ever touched and it feels like so soft, it's so thick. And that was like, I was like, aha. Hard this, moment, yeah. I was like, I could use this, and this is even before like eco wraps were even a thing. Wow. So I was like, where do I get these from? And they obviously within their core brand, sustainability is a big thing, and so they had already found the right. Wow. And to be honest, it's it's a very um, easy to find supplier. I think it's Biopack. I'll um, I'll double check um, who exactly we get them from and yep. what they are, and I can link them. But yeah, like it, that was a that was a no brainer, and that's been really helpful. And we've actually seen a difference in um the uh feedback that we've gotten from clients like a flower- that. of the of the way they're arriving you mean like uh yeah, like um we just we used to get more feedback on you know if something uh, if something happened in transportation and like there there was a puncture or something like that there was a hole and then there was like water that yep. leaked or something like that. We do not get feedback of that kind anymore. Great. So what we do is we use the napkin, and we'll probably that's use, stopping
1: the punctures as well, right? It's gonna yeah, stop it's the, like
0: a protect, like it's the a little soft, or something. Yeah, if there's anything left on the stem. That's it, and piercing. then we, we're using way less water. so We're using maybe a third of the water. So we're just keeping the bottom of the napkin wet, but the napkin itself is going to soak up and draw draw up the mm. water. So that's what keeps. Yeah. And you gotta, you know, you think about it like flowers are. Um, the way that they're transported mind you they're in cold storage like um cold transportation trucks or whatever but they're also like you hear things and from people that we've interviewed and like sometimes these flowers are flipping on the tarmac for however many hours not in cold storage in the heat (laughs) on the literally bitumen (laughs) like how hot so i you know you want your product to be as yeah
1: Hydrate I mean? as possible. Yeah, it's hydrate as possible. But at
0: the same time, like they can endure a little bit yeah. more than maybe I feel what like- we give them credit for. And so it's a delicate balance. But yeah, we use the napkin and then the water. Yeah. And that's good. I definitely think that whole thing
1: about like pushing a flower to its limits is, is such a, a, like, there's so much to learn. Like each flower needs different things. Mm-hmm. And with, the, all, with all the hydrating and everything. But like, because I live country based and to all our like, country florists, we, definitely have, so not only once the flowers have arrived to Perth, but then they go in a box without water. Mm. And sometimes like, depending on the crew or company, they're out of water for like 36 hours yeah. and they get to me like two o'clock the next day. They were packed that morning previously. And yeah, you've got a wedding on and you've got to hydrate these babies really mm. <laughs> as quickly as possible. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think it is amazing what what lasts and what yeah. doesn't, and then but again then it's like when was it picked Cause just, yeah exactly it's just there's net like you can learn what you learn, but then there's always some new environmental factor or something that pops up and sort of throws a curveball with on, one, on some of your product
0: and being here in Perth, there's so many links in the chain that like yeah, yeah we we unfortunately just don't know okay exactly when was this picked, like exactly which day of the week was this picked um because we just don't have that contact directly with the grower. Um, So there's, you know, a bit of assumption and um, guesswork and then, yeah. And I guess that uh, to your point of, you know, they can be pushed a little bit more than maybe what we give them credit for. But at the same time, us as florists receiving the flowers, seeing the condition that they're in, we have more of an understanding of how to get them revived and bouncing back and good, whereas obviously a customer – doesn't have that knowledge and is going to go, oh, okay, this rose is dead or this hydrangea is dead or this totally. flower is floppy or and whatever.
1: it's so different when you're comparing retail with events because often we're, like, pushing the limits of the flower and wanting, like, the most blown-out peony, Yeah. whereas that's not what you're wanting to sell to your customers mm-hmm. on the first day of their bouquet. So yeah, it's exactly. just it's very different across the board for yeah. what we're trying to achieve from the yeah. flowers and what we're trying to ask of them. But back to the eco-wraps just yes. for a second. Um, That is just one – product that I have been using now for um you know a couple of years
0: and where do you buy it from
1: um I it's if you google eco wrap it will pop up but I I got mine in from the states it's probably somewhere now in Australia Mm -hmm. and I bought so much at the time so I think I've got a lifetime supply oh really yeah and it's because it was so long ago I can't even remember the price I remember thinking wow this is the most expensive napkin I've ever bought (laughs) but I bought like hundreds of them but I've actually – they're sort of designed about like 25 Mm centimetres big and designed to for people to use in retail, I think, for Mm -hmm. exactly what you're doing, like wrapping bouquets. But I've found that that's just way too much um, paper. So I've um, been chopping mine up into much smaller pieces Mm -hmm. um, so that there's less, I guess, um, boof around the base because I purely use mine for events. So eco-wraps are a great alternative. We use them – wrapped around the base of the stems. And And when you say
0: alternative, sorry to cut you off, but you mean alternative to?
1: Well, foam. They're one of my mechanics that I use for foam free. So it's great for something when you don't have time to individually give that thing a water source and Mm -hmm. you know it's a relatively tough flower. Um, For example, like Geraldton Wax, it definitely needs water, but it can hold with just some wet eco-wrap or tissue paper. Um, but you need to make sure that that eco wrap's on and well wet, and then a uh, plastic cover over the top. So I um, wrap them and then have the lucky bands over the top, and then like shove them into my installation. Oh, so you're
0: literally making like a little tiny takeaway bouquet, and then yeah,
1: I call them my flower nappies.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I remember you telling me um, actually at the exhibition, um, you you oh, was that the exhibition anyway? It doesn't matter. But you were saying how. Um, you had a friend come yeah. over and you had all of your napkins like lined up on the line and they were like, what are, what, what? are these? You're like, these are my nappies for my babies, my flower babies.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's like, wow, well, see, I need you. Know, you've already got so many children. I Why are you so worrying about real many.
0: kids? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, so can you tell me how do you communicate with your clients around – when you're using props that are recycled or things that um, you didn't purchase new i think there's like a stigma around like this isn't brand new for me yeah so what how do you broach that conversation do you broach that conversation what how yep. like what does that look like
1: i feel like i've you know i am now in a fairly unique position where people i I feel like I try and brought, basically I try and communicate it and broadcast it as much as possible. So it's in, you know, it's on my website, it's, um, in my social media. I try and repeat often that I am, um, you know, using recycled or upcycled things and it just comes down to communication, communication. And I think I'm in a position now where, you know, some clients are definitely coming to me for that because they, they see that as different and unique and, that stigma around what I was talking about around antique or vintage mm-hmm. is something that I'm yeah really keen to just totally try and eliminate because we're in a world where there's just too much of everything and we're just creating and creating, and there's nowhere to put all this crap. So, um, finding ways to reuse and make the reusing of things is, is really cool. <laughs> and yeah. so I, um, with the client side of things, I am now in a position where I think that a lot of them understand that, but that is through rep- rep-
0: repetition, repetition. Yeah, and you've established yourself as a brand that uses a sustainable brand. Yeah. That add part of that, you reuse that a yeah. But do you have it like contractually anywhere? Do you have it like written in your website or like anything that, you know, if someone was to say Complain. like. Yeah, is there some kind of. Yeah, no,
1: I I don't have it contractually it's i've um definitely you know just spin it and continue wanting to spin it that just because it's a recycled or upcycled or second hand product doesn't devalue it it's actually something that i have tr- you know um spent my very important time mm-hmm. sourcing as a as a wonderful product to reuse so for me the value of it it's taken me a while to understand that and also see the cost involved with me yes. actually sourcing it but I'm coming to a point now where I feel comfortable enough to stand up strong to a client or my peers and say, "Hey, this is this is um a second-hand thing, but I see it um as just as valuable or way more valuable than your made in China
0: yeah thing totally." And that's what that leads to my next question is like how do you charge you know for recyclable materials? So I guess uh you're just charging Normally, normally, as if yeah,
1: yeah, because yeah, I mean most because I work in events, most of my um vessels and everything come back to me, mm-hmm. so um that sort of just works into my styling, like the way I break down my yeah. styling costs, so everything that's in my um kit or my studio is is available um for hire, and I sort of just work that into my costs when I'm quoting something up, yeah,
0: yeah. and have you ever had to have that? Yeah, a conversation with a client where they've said anything to the effect of, oh, if you're, you know, there's there's this price, but if you're going to use recycled materials, there's this price or like their expectation to pay less because it's a product that isn't brand new or isn't first no, used. Yeah,
1: no. no, I really haven't luckily had that experience. And, again, I think it just comes down to communicating, hey, so, you know, I'll be talking to my client and saying what's your – colour theme, what's your theme? And then I'm I'm literally, you know, because usually weddings and events they book out quite well in advance. Mm-hmm. So I they know that I'm out searching for product to to elevate their design. Um and there is also an understanding in my contract that everything that I use is mine. And yep.
0: um I haven't yet run into any issues with that. Mm-hmm. So um what about then, okay, so everything you use is yours. Um does that does that extend to the flowers or what does um, that
1: look like? So, yeah, in my t- terms and conditions, um, because something that I definitely do in my designs, I don't think a lot of people are really doing as much. It's not across the board, I guess, and it's because I come from a horticultural background, is I'm with my large-scale work I feel like it's sort of half landscaping, half floristry. So I'm using a lot of live plants so I have my own little tree nursery where, uh, sorry, not tree nursery, um, plant nursery. Grew up with a tree nursery, but mm. I, I have a lot of plants in pots um, that I'm growing um, and, and using in my design work. And either like sometimes I'm taking them out of their pots and putting them into like literally, you know, on top of vases, like with their dirt and their soil mm. and using that as armature or often I'm using them in their pots and hiding that. And so that again is like, well, when I'm, you know, trying to factor in the costs for to a client, this plant may be used for another wedding or event coming out, especially yeah. when it's in peak season. Like for example, I bought some beautiful hydrangeas literally at Bunnings, um, a few weeks ago, and they were like they had like 10 heads about Such a score. It was probably like $25 for the bottle. It was. Think, yeah. And that was like, You're well, like, yeah, that's actually $100 yeah. worth of hydrangeas yes. and they're not going to wilt. Yeah. And they're going to like stay hydrated. So my mind just like keeps popping with like all of the unlimited possibilities when it comes to using um, living plants and yeah. reusing those plants. Um, but when you, I think, what did you ask me about how that well, affects?
0: Well, yeah, like um, you say contractually everything's yours. Oh, yeah. So I'm just wondering, are you like, how are you communicating that? Because we all have experiences where beautiful things of ours that have been either really expensive or have been like excellent but discontinued or whatever, mm. and have been just taken after a wedding and then yeah. that's gone. So and you know, follow the follow up process like leads to a dead end and then. What are your options? You're like, you know, if the couple's ghosting you or whatever and you've got three vases that are really important to you and part of a broader collection but it's like at the end of the day it's three vases. Like what are you going to do, take them to court? Like it's complicated. So Um, so you just lose it essentially. Mm. So what are there – I'm trying to figure out a determination do you have that? It's written in your in a contract, but mm. we all know most people don't read terms and conditions. <laughs> so, how are you communicating? This belongs to me, and I'm coming back to pick it up, remove it. Yeah, it it's just um I think
1: I probably have um a shorter terms and conditions than like I don't know I haven't compared them with everybody else's, so yes. but I, I def- But I, it is very obvious, and it's um a few very important things at the very top of my invoice yeah. as well is that um, firstly there must be flexibility with what flowers you might end up getting because I'm working very much seasonally mm. and locally. Um, uh, it'll just be to the same value but that all living plants um, uh, are mine and the property of boss mm. and they will come home and all same with all props and glassware and that it also just states at the bottom, which I've only just sort of started to learn now is I don't know, I'd love to know how you deal with um, clients mm. with um that want their flowers after an event. Yeah. But I found that um, because I'm using very unusual props and things underneath, some of these base works are really expensive and they're not things that I'm, A, I don't think the client would be willing to pay mm-hmm. to, you know, buy all those flower frogs or whatever. Yeah. Then um, I'm just making sure that it's really obviously stated and communicated like directly with the wedding planner or the mm. client that if they want to take flowers home that they must bring their own buckets. Because yeah. then I was also just like, hemorrhaging buckets every weekend like when I was pulling down the arrangements and putting recutting the flowers for them and giving them the flowers which I love to do because I don't want them to see them wasted.
0: So are you doing that the day after the wedding or are you doing that at midnight at the pack down or when does that happen?
1: Um, 90% of the time my weddings are packed down the day after because they're in venues that um, are not doing breakfast service luckily um, because they're mostly really big. Um but yeah so usually my couple's come and meet me um cool. after with their hangover or mid morning. Yeah that's such a nice way of
0: doing it. it and picking up their buckets of flowers. I love that idea. like yeah. um you know I've ugh, can't, I can't even count the amount of times I just have a lost beautiful things that I love um expensive things and I've it's in it's contract it's in the contract it's well communicated but then the bride and groom don't tell leave yeah. At whatever time. And the family's there just figuring out animals, like, oh, what belongs pretty- to us and make assumptions. And to, I totally understand how it happens, but, you know, auntie so-and-so takes this home and they go, oh, we're going to give this one to Nonna mm-hmm. and whatever. And then it's like no one wants to ask Nonna for the vase back. Because no, <laughs> they feel that bad. <laughs> but it's also like, yeah, but that's mine and it's really expensive. And sure, one hand is you could buy it but on the actually I want it back like because I worked really hard to get that yep. and they don't just sell the you know minimum spends for places and stuff mm. like that like to you know anyway so do you, um,
1: do you when you've experienced these yeah. um you, you often get it back or most of the time it's ghosted
0: I've just become a lot better at communicating and making sure that I know who else to speak to um that beyond just the the bride obviously understandably on the day the bride shouldn't be in charge of jobs Mm -mm. so um yeah making sure the venue coordinator is aware making sure that the um if there's a stylist on board that they're aware um i also have a message that i send out every morning um on a wedding day that goes to the bride oh sorry to their their key contact which would be like usually a bridesmaid um so we and says happy wedding day to these people and just a reminder we're arriving um estimated at this time for your brocade delivery we can't wait to see and la 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 and just like start the day in that way. Yeah. Um, which started like we were sending initially that message um because um we would sometimes get calls in the morning, oh when are you coming? Yeah, what it's time like are you we've spoken about this, it's in your documentation. And you get a call from the mother of the bride on the day of the wedding. It just freaks you out. It just puts you, you do in not like want a,
1: call from what have I missed, what have
0: I done? Like, you know, so we're proactive and send right. a message um in advance. And then I also send a, a follow-up message that's, um you know, when I know the reception is done and I will send a follow-up message and be like, just a reminder these bongjas, blah, 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 blah. Have a wonderful night. So and- is that
1: you... Um- Mm, you literally have got that programmed, or you're no, doing it manual, at home, manual. Yeah, thing? yeah, yeah.
0: So whoever runs that wedding, I mean, it'll be usually like once the rece- excuse me, once the reception is completed, and uh, mm-hmm. once we've completed the setup, it'll be like we're sending that message out as long as we know that the ceremony portion is finished by then. So typically, we're texting a bridesmaid or the mother um, of the bride. They're usually the person that gets yes. given as our key contact. And we take one for the bride and one for the groom. So we might be texting a groomsman as well, or whatever. But like, you know, their their job on the day is to support the couple and knowing financially what belongs to them and what doesn't belong yeah, to them a, is definitely. a way of supporting them. So I don't feel bad texting the bridesmaid. Totally. Um, and usually by the time the ceremony's done, they're taking portraits and they're taking portraits of the couple. Um, so the bridesmaids um excuse me, yeah. the bridal party, they're chilling, having a glass yeah. of wine, whatever, and to check their f- – and, you know, that's a great opportunity to check their phone and then it's just a reminder and, yeah, it just keeps – so I don't lose as much stuff. It's great. But, you know, I'm always just trying to figure out ways of, like, how do I that's how really do I keep my stuff? stay really respectful to the client, make sure that the – you know, the last thing I want to do is end a wedding experience on a note of having to follow them up for something that they – that they usually don't know where it is, and they don't know who to ask, because who the heck was the last person to leave? Uh, they don't know. They left well in advance. Totally. So, um, yeah, I, I find that helpful, but again, it's just like try and communicate as best as you can. But things are always going to go walk about. I, um, yeah, the amount of times you talk to a hire company and they're down like a couple yeah. of sets of cutlery and a na- couple of Saviots? napkins, yeah, and it's like. Well, who's benefiting from pocketing, like, one gold fork, knife, and spoon? Like, what the heck? But people I mean, just like, get drunk I mean, like, I found them in pretty they... random places. Like, yeah. Oh, covered sure. with
1: spew out the back oh, and retreat. That's you disgusting. know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> no,
0: thank you. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Well, all right. So, phone-free um, design. We'll, okay. We're not going to dive into this too much because I think by now... Um, there's enough education information Mm. out there on foam-free design. But um, I just wanted to know um, what are some of your – you've mentioned some of your go-to resources. Are there any other go-to resources regarding foam-free builds um, that you look for inspiration? So,
1: yeah, I'll just briefly touch on sort of my main things that I use and the most excited thing that I am excited to talk about is the Ocean Pouch. Oh, yeah. So – we used that for the first time at the Gather exhibition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's now available in Australia um, from the Sustainable Forestry Supplies. Mm-hmm. So if you Google Ocean Pouch, um, Sustainably Forestry Supplies, you will be able to get your hands on and it. And it's
0: O S H, right? O
1: S C H U N. Okay. So like Ocean O-sh- Pouch. And it's an incredible um, coconut co- core base with a um, plant based membrane around the outside. Mm-hmm. And so even though I supplied it um, for the group installs and stuff at the community gather mm. um, installation um, and I know that Brooke from Honey Bunch used mm-hmm, it for mm-hmm. her amazing art, yeah. um, I actually only s- had a play with it um, like just over a month ago and have started using it for my events and um, I am foam – I. Tr- have self taught without foam, but I have, and I have used one box in my life so I know what foam feels like yeah, to insert yeah. um and I've done a little bit of training with it. Mm-hmm. Um just one day course, but like it I couldn't believe how well it things insert to it and okay. stick and hold. I yeah. was like, oh wow, it just felt so nice yeah. poking things in and they held really well. It doesn't have quite the same like um water sourceability as foam but um when, where, when and where possible, if you can put a tray underneath it, like an, like an Oasis tray, like you would normally do with yep. foam, um, it holds up incredible. Um, okay. and then I've, I've been putting chicken wire over the top of that as well for extra armature and yep. structure, but I am just having incredible results and I'm super excited. It is a little bit more expensive. So with, um, I think don't quote me on this, but I think it's around like, ten dollars a brick
0: and how much how you can only use
1: that probably a couple of times i'm yet to so i'm on my second time i haven't tried a third Mm -hmm. yet it just really depends what you've used it for how long you've used it for and how many big things you've jammed into it um but as far as a foam free like alternative that is similar to the design technique of foam this is definitely world leading and very exciting Mm -hmm. um and you know, I don't know, how much would a, how much would a normal brick cost a foam? Oh,
0: my gosh. I actually don't really know. It's yep. a, a couple of dollars. A couple of dollars. It would yep. probably be around $2-ish, yep. maybe a little bit less. Yeah. Wholesale. Yeah. So
1: there's definitely a little bit of price difference there, but um, if you're educating your clients and as we go further into this journey, I think those costs are, can be worked into your into your quoting and your yeah, costings. totally. Um
0: I mean, well, these days, I mean, $10 is one – it can be one flower stem, right? Exactly. So, you know, you go, okay, well, to benefit off this, this, I guess, charges out at $35 for argument's sake. Yep. Um, But that is just changing a couple of your focal flowers to maybe add a tiny little bit more filler maybe mm-hmm. um, or a tiny little bit more foliage perhaps. And um, you know, you can just adjust what you're putting into right. it, uh, essentially, and and figure that out because thirty five dollars it does seem like a lot of money for something that's underneath, but yeah, it, it honestly that could be two flower heads, like that's not even that's yep. not even one fowl,
1: yeah. And we we're just gonna get to a point where we're gonna have to start factoring these things in because, yep. um, survival of humans on the planet is, yep. is, is 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 way more important. Like, what's the cost of us losing all of that, so I think, and I think the ocean pouch definitely for people that are wanting to look at alternative, um, funeral flower. Okay. For for late, because I I do a little tiny bit of funeral work. Um, and in the past, I know that it is really hard to find something that um, you know, can without a sloppy water source yeah. can be transported on a coffin. I think using them in like a um, biodegradable um cardboard tray. Okay. The ocean pouches with just like natural twine. Yeah would be a really awesome way that that can literally, you know, be buried with the body mm. and not be an issue, so compostable. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, that's So awesome. they're really, I think they're going to revolutionise and I think we're just going to see them coming in more and more and the price will probably go down as well. Well,
0: that's it. As the demand increases, yeah. like, the, you know, they're able to make in bulk and then the, um, the cost ideally should um, decrease. Yeah. We'll just see. We're not seeing any costs decreasing at the moment. They're all just no. going up.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then um, my other go-tos are the amazing like um, funeral cemetery spikes. So vases with spikes on them, great for ground, like for meadowlands and stuff like that. When you're working on the floor, they're amazing. But they also have, you know, great attachment points to um, attach them into up higher designs. Because like when you're using like a wire cage base instead of foam, you can just insert your spike into the cage and it stays upright. Yeah. So your your whole, your water source. So you put
0: like let's say you've got a, you've got a tree trunk like this. Mm-hmm. You've put a um, wire like around wrap that, and then you've inserted the yep. um,
1: yeah cool water source that. up top. Yeah. So I I love them, but I also because I you know I cemetery spikes I've found hard to find. I, I want to I haven't been able to find them in black lately. Mm-hmm. Um, but again I don't just use always cemetery. I use jars with like wire around the top of them or cable tie. Um, and then double attachment. So with a jar, if you're like, you know, if you're inserting some tall delphiniums or something up high, um, I you always need to like make sure your water source is attached at the top and the bottom of yeah. your cage or your structure, whatever you're building onto. But again, like the results you get from having a water source in your installation is incredible. And, uh, you know, over time I've worked, just worked it into my, the way I build things and it, it really is quite doable um, if you have a yeah. v- venue that you're allowed to build on site.
0: So on that note, like how, because this is obviously a big, big contributor to why so many people still work with phone totally. is because it's so fast to design. So how do you actually um, figure out, I guess probably just through experience I would imagine, but you tell me, how do you figure out? how many people it's going to take to do a design when it's phone-free and how long it's going to take to do the design as well. Yeah, look, it's definitely been um,
1: trial and <laughs> trial and error and um, I'm at a place now where I would, I'm would, i luckily enough that I generally would like to have an extra staff member on than I think that I would need because I'm mm. working less but really big designs so I would prefer to finish early and send everybody home early and have extra staff. Yeah. But... Um, You know, so generally, you know, my larger weddings, we're talking, um, five staff over two day build. Yeah. Um, and that's like, you know, back at the, back at wherever our pop-up studio is preparing, um, all the table arrangements and bouquets and all the personal flowers and then large scale, you know, a couple of really large scale installations at a reception, would generally so be two days. Those two
0: days is a day on site and a day off site. Is that right? A
1: bit of both. Like I usually, you know, in the mornings we'll be um at the studio, um working on the like finicky little stuff, and then um we don't because, you know, it's all about timing as well. So yeah. depending on the weather, is it an inside venue? Is it an outside venue? Yeah. What products are we using? But often I will um pre-design like fifty percent of my installation, mm-hmm. if the venue allows it, the yeah. day before. And we'll work into the evening at the venue the yeah, day before,
0: if possible. Oh, that's a luxury. <laughs> but it,
1: but it's not always a thing. And if yeah. it's not, then it's um sometimes like you know in tricky places I've done things like um installed like when they're having a huge busy lunch service yes. I've installed um part part of the installation up in the restaurant um at you know five a.m. um until ten a.m. and then then they do lunch service yeah. with a uh, Beautiful but partly finished mm-hmm. um, insulation. and then as soon as lunch is finished, come back in and mm-hmm. throw throw all your last minute fresh flowers yeah. in top of that. Okay. Um, and when you're doing things last minute like that, often they don't need water sources, so yeah. it can be much quicker. Yeah. So again, just a balancing act of like and, and a trialling of what can what can we use out of water and
0: totally. And to that point, you made this incredible document of foliage's that will and flowers, and flowers that-, that will last out. Without a water source, yeah, and that is available on um, Patreon um, yeah. currently. If you look up resources, it's under there as one of our resources.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. it's amazing what, and it's, it's like really weird things that you just think wouldn't last well, like Lysianthus. Like mm. they are so tough. Yeah, there you go. Because
0: um, you look at it and you go, it's really soft, petal, it's soft gonna, springy. Yeah.
1: Like, yeah. Um, but yeah, they hold incredibly out of water. Um, yeah, that's awesome. And a lot of your different – depending on your rose varieties can go out of water. So learning your product and the only way you learn it is just by testing it and, yeah. and testing it with your – like when you come home from a wedding and you've still got product, mm. test it then like just and, – and take notes and just keep yeah. trying to work out what, what you can use without water because if you can throw things in without water when you're working with a wedding an event that is only going for six hours, then that takes down your labour dramatically. Absolutely. But and there is ways to move things as well, like yeah. um Ash's flower towels are incredible oh,
0: yeah. have you got some?
1: No no okay. I don't actually, but I only because i by the time I met Ash and interviewed her, I'd mm. already developed my own yeah, things yeah, yeah, yeah. um and got um like welders to build mm-hmm. my own stuff, but um the fact that you can um just whip put them on a wheelie and wheel them in is really great.
0: Yeah. She puts them on like a fridge trolley, I think kind of thing, mm-hmm. and then moves them um
1: But, and then also if, if, if you're wiring things well, and I think the ocean pouch again is going to revolutionize all this moving things because it moves great. It's like foam. But like, if you are wired and it's structured well um, and designed as a movable item, things can move in water vials or um, eco wraps quite, quite well. It just, it does take, it just does take a little bit of, you know, design work and working out how to stop things moving.
0: Yeah which is you know it's a complicated thing sometimes to test something on a wedding day on someone's oh, like yes. wedding day with that don't pay- test it on a wedding oh, day yeah. <laughs> test it before <laughs> yeah um but then h- having said that as well when you're testing something beforehand you only you're not in the menu. you're not working to the same height or on the exact same tree or on the exact same totally. landscape with the same elements in your face like so there is that element of yeah kind of on the day but definitely yeah. yeah the 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 advice is test before make it a priority um beforehand yeah so uh, what are some of the other pressure points or challenges um working in foam free design that you've had to kind of overcome are there and is there any other advice or any other tips that you would have uh for someone that wants to get into foam free um so yeah
1: I, I, I mean as we all know and i think is is the moving of flowers so like when you're in a tight timeframe is definitely the highest place of pressure when it comes to foam-free design. Um, And then it's, as we, as we just mentioned, it comes back down to, you know, flower choices. And that again is hard. Like if you have um, clients that want specific flowers that need specific treatment, Mm -hmm. um, you know, which is, I'm finding it creatively hard at the moment because I'm working with seasonal um australian only so really trying to really represent seasons mm. um so working with a lot of dainty spring things mm. um and finding at try, trying to find ways of doing that foam free on a large scale in yeah. our climate with when everything's heating up and we're getting these extremely hot summers yeah. like it, i'm not going to lie it's challenging definitely um but um yeah movable movable water sources or um flower frogs in cages like low meadows i've there's definitely like i've figured out all of this sort of like you know low arrangements all of your floor based stuff is really quite easy to transport and move you just do yeah. need to make sure you've re-topped it up um when you once you've transported it mm. um and um what are other pressure points so just like also like how long's something lasting for so but in in weddings and events, you only you only really need to let it last for for that six hours, so yeah. it does give you some some more flexibility. But for example, if you're um doing a longer term like corporate arrangement or something like that, then again there is ways around not not using foam as your base, but that would totally yeah um that's where someone would definitely
0: I find that actually easier. Um, like we still work with foam at the shop and the. Ma- like, it's not going out in vase arrangements and stuff like that. That's, like, so easy to just grid with pot tape or, yep. um, uh, like, well, that's what we would grid with pot tape, but, you know, chicken wire, whatever, mm-hmm. and people have their different ways that they like to do it. But, like, there's, it's completely unnecessary to use, in my opinion, yep. in that respect. But certainly funeral um, casket sprays um, and, um, yeah, installs, certain installs that... Um, yeah, require, well, require, <laughs> I haven't used the ocean pouch yet, but, yeah, that need like um, a water source and stuff like that that are hanging, like where still, and that it just comes down to pure logistics and time. Um, but there is this other side that's like, well, you just need to spend more investment in time in figuring out something better. Because- yeah, and, and
1: we perhaps need to change what, what we're saying we can provide for the client. Mm-hmm. Like we need to think outside the box, like is, does it have to be a hanging install? Mm-hmm. Like for, for, for something, if you're doing yeah. designing at a restaurant and that's, I, I often get, you know, meet a client, they come on and they want a hanging install because they're all the rage, um, but they're doing it at a venue that has a very short turnaround. And then it takes me a fair bit of work, but um, with some clever inspiration and talking about, well, that's not going to work me in the way I use my mechanics but how about we you know we grow something up the wall um, because that's something that I can um, move in much faster Mm -hmm. in this timeline and you know often once you explain it to your clients and talk about the different issues and why you're doing it they generally just want big awesome flowers they're not always resigned to this certain thing as long Mm -hmm. as it's um Friggin' wonderful they're gonna yeah. be happy so again communication
0: yeah so true
1: mm.
0: yeah awesome um all right so moving on to sourcing flowers mm. um you obviously uh said that you uh, sorry i know that you um only do work with australian grown mm-hmm. um stuff um which just means that you know you might even some people that are familiar with Lara's work you might go hang on there's a foul in that or something like that but it just means that it's come from a local farm there there are places here that grow um that stuff and like something that i completely admire so much is that you're so true to that value and you figure it out and make it work and we all know what it's like when 60 percent of your wedding comes in and you've got to make subs and all of that kind of stuff and imagine having to work under that tension of Making subs, but then also adding that layer of like subs within Australia. just Australia, <laughs> that must be really hard. So how do you? How does that work for you? Yeah, um,
1: there's been moments where I'm not gonna lie, I miss miss a quicksand because yeah. she's reliable and um, uh, firm and tight and <laughs> taut and is, it will last out of water. Last out of water, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. But I am getting some great results with a lot of the grandies and really enjoying Grandifloras for that reason because they're Aussie-grown. But um, And then I yeah, have a lot of garden roses that I have access to. But um, sorry, what, what was the question? I've just totally oh, just lost it. just
0: regarding like sourcing your Australian-only product yes. and the limitations around that when you're working with unavailabilities and stuff like that. Like mm. what are the challenges, roadblocks? Like how do you navigate that? Again, so um, really communicating
1: with my client that we are working with fresh product and we have, um, you know, different environmental factors that are going to change what we might end up using. So it's very, um, there's not, in most of my work now, there's not many clients that have particular flowers that are must-haves. There might be one or two for sentimental reasons and, again, it comes with a not 100% guarantee, like that's in the contract, but. Um, trying to make sure that you replicate that um, feel. You know, like last week um, my bride wanted like a baby's breath dancing over the bouquet for that light feathery and I said, well, um, you know, that doesn't fit with my policy anymore and I, I there is jip in Australia but it's not available till after Christmas so how would you feel about, um, uh, you know, like wax or something like mm-hmm. that and remove all the foliage and just make sure it's dainty and use it. And she was stoked with it. Yeah. So. Because
0: um, it was that, just that effect. You yeah, mentioned she that. didn't yeah.
1: really care for baby's yep. birth. She just wanted it to be floaty and dainty. So yep. just always bringing it back to what do you really love about that inspiration mm. picture? Like is, yep. it, is it just the colour and the shape yeah. and how can we represent that? So always really trying to understand what your client loves about what they've given you as their inspo yep. and then finding out ways of um, sticking within their parameters but then also i am also pushing the barriers with product like with creativity and pushing their creativity and pushing the limits a little bit but hey i haven't had an unhappy client yet so yeah brilliant um i think it's possible
0: what do you do with when you ordering from the market Mm -hmm. obviously you're communicating i only want australian grown Mm -hmm. um because uh, for me for example who works with from anywhere hmm. um let's say i order some uh, the snapdragon and it could be locally grown or it could come over east or it could well actually i don't know if it, that one comes overseas but or delphinium for example that's yep. a good one because it yep. can come overseas and, and come Kenya, overseas as well. from Perth, yep. um and because of supply issues whatever they just make a sub for me and then that, that's what it gets so how do you deal with that i mean is it just a matter of they know you now and they know your expectations like how do you know that what you actually get has been Australian grown yep. if it's a substitute from somewhere else?
1: Um, so quite often I can tell by the packaging yep. but not always because um, that's not a given. Um, but the, it definitely has just become um, about having enough conversations with the suppliers and repeatedly and putting it in bold in all of my ordering and my emails and just reminding Australian only. And then I'll still get people just saying, oh, well, I've only got Lizzie's that are imported. Do you want them? And because this is a relatively new. And like, um, don't you pre- even know me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, take the Lizzie's. Gonna take even though they're going to last out of water. Don't even let me really- look at them. They're so beautiful. I don't <laughs> want to see them. Um. So, yeah, just communicating. And tr- I, I literally triple checking before they send my order or before yeah. I pick up or get my girls before yeah. they're picking up to just, is that definitely the local Delphinium?
0: Yeah. And what about like um, you've done work overseas. How do you know that you're working with local supply when you're locally overseas, like somewhere else, (laughs) not in our country? Well, I mean, I haven't done a
1: lot yet. So um, that was um, definitely an interesting adventure doing um, large-scale botanical installs in Bali last year. Um, But what what I learned from that is back to um, the whole garden waste like where's council's waste going because we we got sort of stood up we're like yeah we've got this guy's he got this amazing place we are gonna go pick out there and we oh. drove like for six hours in, no. in a taxi with our machetes and no. our, and a meeting a truck driver and to get there to find that the place that we were picking from was just like a big pile of weeds that would that would not last in an oh. install for a three-day oh. festival so we were just like ah think outside the box and we actually got really creative and um ended up uh going to the head of like all that was in resort world down in um, Nusa Dua and talking to all of the horticulture departments and getting access to all of their, like going to their green waste area. Yeah, wow. And like they were literally just pruning off everything that I would die for that would be selling in the markets, like beautiful tropical foliage yeah, yeah. because it's resort life. They like, yeah. like, like it all trimmed yeah, and pruned. Yeah, yeah. So they were like, there was truckloads of all this awesome product. Um, so we managed to get access to their tips and then we were um, finding all the gardeners and tipping them and literally getting them to come around with their, their trolleys and their trailers and, and get our stuff. So we pulled that's it off awesome. but um, it's definitely an a different adventure overseas um, but I, and I think the barley definitely does have quite a bit of imported stuff and, yeah. and that's where they tried to send me. It was just somewhere that was just like selling yeah. Lizzie's and crizzies and um, Rose's. Um, which wasn't going to work, especially for a tropical wedding when you're in a tropical place. Like I I would prefer to highlight what's naturally growing there and what you know is like resistant to that weather. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, Mm. totally. Yeah, that's a big one, isn't it? Um, Oh, my gosh. Okay, so this is definitely one that I've called you about on the phone before to check. Like can you – hang on, I'm confused. Can you fill me in? What are the differences between this and this and this? And what I'm talking about is like fresh flowers versus dried flowers versus preserved flowers and bleached and dyed mm. and all of that kind of stuff. So can you just tell me like, and then you've got painted. So mm. what is so wrong about bleached flowers or what is so maybe wrong, something, what from a sustainability perspective, why are you not into using bleach flowers? Yeah. Um, so it's also interesting. Like, not all
1: dyed flowers are bleached, right? But bleach can be often. Just want to point out is the base for a lot of colouring. Yeah. So there's preserved, which generally most preservation techniques and are, are not um, that bad, like glycerine um, and things like that. So preserved definitely, if it's done by a reputable company or supplier, is is not a bad thing, especially if you're reusing it. Um, But when it comes to bleach, you know, I mean, we all need bleach. For I I use bleach in my buckets, and um, but um, the bleaching is a very um, using a lot of chemicals to like really remove all of the color out of a plant. And we, because all of these products coming from all these different places, we it's very hard to find out or understand what sort of environmental considerations were made in those factories when they're processing these these materials Mm -hmm. so if you are really loving your preserved and products just talk to your supplier and find out where are they getting it from because some I've definitely been learning that some stuff is is definitely not as bad as others Mm -hmm. but when it comes to bleach yeah it's the it's the chemicals that are used in the first process and then it's the product that we're left with so once you've used that 10 times Unfortunately, there's nothing to do but put it in landfill because it can't be composted and it can't return back to the earth. So back to that circular economy thing, like, you know, ideally the ideal thing is to pick a flower, enjoy its beauty and then let it slowly decompose back and feed the earth so that we can grow more flowers. Like that's the ultimate goal. Um, And, you know, with um, so essentially anything that's been – um, dyed with something that's not like a food grade or a natural dye, um, shouldn't be shouldn't be composted. So, on that matter, I feel like something that you know the biggest thing around waste, apart from single use plastic, for us florists, um, is definitely in the green waste because we produce so so much of it. Um, and you know, it's taken a while for me to understand, but like essentially. When you have green waste, it's really important that we don't put it into landfill because when um what they do is they like um when they pick up your landfill, they smush it together really hard and, and bury it. And when it's um, like compacted and buried, it, like it has very little ana- oxygen, it becomes anaerobic in that condition and it breaks down very slowly and then it like breaks down it, like, as it breaking down, Um, it creates landfill gases, um, like methane, um, and carbon dioxide, really high levels of it. Um, so they're, and they're really potent to, to our greenhouse. So that's just a really big thing that we need to address. I think across the board in the industry and like, I know in London and thing, there's like a lot of companies that literally come and just like their full-time job is collecting green waste from large scale events. Cause like there is so much product for some of these big high-end weddings, um, and, they literally pick it up and um, you know, and compost it and and return it back to the to the soil. Whereas you know, because when green waste is mulched, it's um, and cut up, it's 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 improving our our yeah. earth. So there's such a simple thing here, like like whether we actually use our waste to benefit our future and the future of our flowers, or we this waste is actually after all of the carbon that this flower's created in the first set <laughs> and all of the time and the energy that it's used, been used to use its life, are we then also letting its decomposition create more toxic gases for our environment? So working out ways within your business that you can get your green waste bin. Like if you don't have a green waste bin, contact your shires, find out why and how and if you can have access to green waste because mm-hmm. the compost that they're making through green waste is a great, great byproduct.
0: for for us. And then because, you know, obviously one thought like that I have was like, hang on, but if we're able to reuse this product over and over versus a flower that we use once and then that's done Mm. and it has a a singular purpose, but if I'm able to like, let's say have this bleached amaranthus for example and reuse it all of these times, Mm. is that then not better because I've given it like this purpose over and over? But ultimately just through talking to you, it's like this product that should have been able to go back into the earth in a really healthy way. way that continues that environmental lovely circle. Yeah. And this is like, you know, when we spoke about um, painting flowers, so actually do you want yeah. to explain yeah. what so- painting leaves and stuff like that, Why why is that? Yep. Not.
1: So painting's a little bit different again and especially what you're painting with. And again, like I um got got obsessed with um like um all of the you know, funky ways you could paint paint flowers and big leaves. And I um was using a fair bit of um, floral spray paint um a few years ago and then it just, you know, from from learning more, realizing that the work The worst thing you can do is take a fresh living product, beautiful flower, and then spray paint it a different colour because those chemicals now mean it cannot be composted or returned back to the earth. Mm. If you really need painted big bold props in your work and you're painting something that is reusable, the better thing to do is to paint something that, you know, like is a dry hard thing like a leucodendron nut or a palm flower that you essentially think of it as a prop rather than a flower. If you are maintaining that product and looking after it that is much better and more accept and more acceptable from a sustainable yep. point of view but the spraying um of of actual flowers for me really now is a is a big no-no and it's just something that needs to be considered like what are you going to do with this flower once it's used and how long are you using it for for this little moment of yeah glam
0: well i yeah that was like a real like aha moment for me because i spoke to you about this and i was like well what's so what's so wrong about painting or what's what's your opinion? Why is it not a great idea to paint um, like leaves, for example, paint mm. flowers? Um, and what you said was, yeah, I found quite um, eye-opening. Because You said you're taking a natural product, turning it into a plastic and then it can't be composted. So that was like, yeah, I think it's that whole, because in my head I'm like, okay, you can paint, is it just the paint? Because then painting a prop is okay. So why is painting a green not okay? Um, but yeah, it's like taking something that has all of the potential to, to give back to, be to compost. the earth, yeah, put in a positive way, and turning it and and, and removing that option Ability. for that, yep. yeah, and then and then essentially creating more yeah uh, problems. Whereas is, a
1: recycled prop or a vase or something that already yeah, exists, a
0: vase that's painted that's already that never had that potential in the same way um, and just changing the colour of that and then keeping it and reusing, reusing, reusing. So, um, yeah, I found that, like, just, yeah, it really, like, makes sense on such a basic Mm -hmm. level. Um, And you can recycle your spray cans
1: as well. They can go into recycling. What? As long as there's no paint in them,
0: like, as long as the gas is all gone. But Are you supposed to puncture them? No.
1: Mm, not I've from heard. what I've researched. Okay. Just as long as it's empty, they can go in your general recycling. Oh, that's great! Cause but cool. I didn't know that.
0: I thought that the because um, of the maybe, aerosols. Uh, yeah. M- An aerosol.
1: Yeah, I mean. Yeah. Do you have a? Because I don't have. Do you have stickers on there saying no aerosols? Because I don't. Oh, gee, I'd have to look.
0: That's interesting. Maybe um maybe I'll just double check. Yeah, hold
1: that thought. Yeah, I I from what I've. Research and talking to my tip, it can go okay. into recycling. Oh,
0: okay. They but, told you that, but that,
1: but um, it might be different. Like, and that thing is with recycling, every different is different. Different sizes, yeah. They all have different processing yeah. plants and ways that they're dealing with all their different recycling. So, some yeah. really place good place to start is watching War on Waste, um, mm-hmm. and then just being informed and like talking to your actual local council about totally. your bin.
0: And that's the thing; it's like one phone call or walking in in one conversation that maybe is like an hour, and hour and a half, but of great education, right? Um, versus like years of just like, I don't know, am I doing the right thing as you're getting yeah. something? Um, I mean, and are you going through, and we'll, we'll wrap up um, yeah. shortly, but are you going through and all your stuff and you just, to be clear, when you're um, putting things into green waste, you are meticulously... Going through, pulling out any wire, mm. any, um, uh, what am I trying cable to say? Ties, cable ties, lucky ties, bands. Yeah. yeah, all of that kind of stuff. You're yeah. re- and you're… Um, Reusing my twitch. Re- yeah. I, yeah.
1: I just like bundle it all up and shove it in, shove it in my pouch so I've got yeah. two bits to go for the next week. Yeah. Um, and and my cable nappy, ties are Your even... flower
0: nappies, what, <laughs> what are they called again? The um, um, are um, yeah, re- Washing them. What are they called again? Eco wraps. Eco wraps, sorry, thanks. Yeah, you're washing them, hanging them up. Re- and even them. plastic cable ties um I ha- I so it's an effort it's a lot of it work is. it ta- but it takes it takes a choice yep. it's like i'm choosing to make this important and i'm choosing to put the work in for this and yep. on that i'm going to allow for an extra 5 hours every job rather than it just being like at the end of the job you're just so Inter- absolutely dead and the last thing you want to do is like clean um and sort and all of that kind of stuff because I think that that's what happens as well. There's a lot of well-intentioned people, but it's just like you're Exhaustion. just absolutely exhausted. So it's either allowing that within your quote so that you're capable and just have having that in your locked into your routine of your week of you know okay these are the day this is the day that I wash buckets this is the day I pick up flowers this is the day I process and at the end of that you're going this is the day or this is the time that I'm also like pulling apart all of my stuff and, and disposing of it in the correct way um, that that's accounted for in your pricing. Mm -hmm. That's really important. And look, if it, and maybe within your, um, your team as well, so that it's not just you, the, the one that wears all the hats that also does this, but it's like a part of your, um, the, the job role or whatever, whoever's doing the bump out for you or with you or whatever, it's like just part of the job that they have to do that. So um, yeah, that's cool. So, um we will conclude there. There's so many there's actually so many other questions that I wanted to <laughs> walk through, but it's becoming quite a long uh long chat. So we might shelve some of this for later. Yeah. Just... Um, but just while we finish um and finish out the year of Gather, um, I just wanted to know what does Gather mean to you and um having yeah, anyway, I'll just leave it to that. But what does
1: Gather mean? To... Yeah. Um... Oh, it's been can't actually so it's twelve. This is our twelfth, so that's amazing. It's our, yeah, it's a we made a, it. Whole year <laughs> cycle of us who have very busy um, lives with multiple things going on to, to and
0: live what? How many hours? Yeah, apart? like
1: three and a half hours away from each yeah. other. Um, I'm just uh, beyond stoked for the journey that it's that it's been, um, and for everything that you do back. Um, oh, back at you. You're you're incredible, and you're. I just love being in the same room as you. I learn so much so so much inspiration there but um yeah the original inspiration behind gather is is actually working for me and that's about community mm. like i feel really just so as than a year ago i feel just so so much more supported um and just have some flower friends to call on and ask ask these stupid questions about means it means everything to me so i feel like the momentum is definitely um growing and yeah, I really like just appreciate having this platform and being out to talk. Like I, mm. I, as I said, I don't, I don't know a lot. I'm just learning along the way. But like, if we all, if we all teach each other and learn mm-hmm. together, that's awesome. And just wanted to also just finish up, just say that I've just started um, about, I've just enrolled in the Sustainable Floristry Network course, and that is now available to all Aussies. Go check it out. Their resources are incredible, and because it, it's it's really affordable, and it means that it's teaching us ways to, um make good decisions about yeah. our businesses in yeah. the whole um so if that's something that means something to you please do
0: check it out and thank you
1: for for coming along the journey with us
0: yeah absolutely I mean I um you said to me um this morning uh you'd popped in through the flower market on your way up and you were like and everyone was there and everyone said hi' I'm I'm like, so friendly <laughs> yeah it's so nice like you know given that um literally a couple of years ago it was like I was like oh. we are, and it was like i don't have any I don't know anyone in this yeah. industry. I feel so lonely and isolated, and so, um, you know, we're um trying to help build a soft landing place for people, and um, yeah, find a a community for people to have flower friends. On that note, we're doing a gather community hangout. It's happening on Wednesday, the thirteenth of December, and it's just like a bit of a wrap up of the year, but it's so casual. It's nothing formal. Um, come if you can. We're going to be at um, Henry Summer in Northbridge from 7.30 till 9.00. Laura and I will both be there and swing in if you can. Um, we would love to see you. We're not doing tickets or anything that, like that. There's not going to be any, any announcements. or It's literally just like hanging out. So many florists work independently. It's just yeah. them. It's isolating and lonely. and No Christmas parties. You don't get a Christmas party. I don't wear. So, like, yeah, this is I've an never had one.
1: So I'm calling this my first oh, Christmas party. Cute. I love it.
0: Well, yeah, so um, come along. Don't be shy to say hi. Um, As I said, there's no tickets or anything, but it's just going to be literally like buy your own drinks, buy your own food. We're not putting too much craziness into it. Come Um, and celebrate a year, gather with us. Yeah, we'd love to see you guys there. So thank you for listening along for the year. We've got lots in store for next year and um, we can't wait to share it with you.